If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, we are fighting a new war with an invisible front line and an indiscernible enemy. The enemy can strike us at any time without warning. And we aren't doing enough to fortify and protect ourselves. This is America's secret cyber war. And we've been fighting it since the dawn of the Internet. It includes cyber attacks on companies, governments, and individuals. Hacking, spreading propaganda through social media, intellectual property theft, and stealing our military secrets. It is an invisible war we are fighting every day. And we as a nation need to do more to protect ourselves against these advanced adversaries. I'm pleased to introduce my guest, Chris Gore. Chris is CEO of D4C Global, a private counterintelligence firm based in Fairfax, Virginia. He served as a former Air Force OSI special agent. We really underestimate the amount of criminal involvement in cyber because many companies just pay them off and stay quiet because they don't want the publicity that they can be penetrated. Is it your impression that there's probably actually more cyber crime than we know about because there's a substantial pattern of not reporting? If you have the ability to get onto a network, whether it's a corporate backbone where there's data or a power grid to steal information, you have the ability to cause damage. So it's just a matter of intent 
to change from stealing to destruction. I can take you all the way back to 2004 when I was investigating the intrusions around the Joint Strike Fighter, which is the largest contract in the history of DOD, thousands of subcontractors. It's being targeted all over the place. And at that time, there was no requirement for defense contractors to report to the government that their unclassified networks were compromised. And so we had to change policy and the federal acquisition requirements and, and all kinds of things. And that kind of shift hasn't happened in the rest of the sectors in America. So the financial sector and those type of things are not, don't have the same type of reporting requirements. And I am personally familiar with a number of cases where corporations have been hit with ransomware, have paid the ransom, have brought in professional cybersecurity firms to negotiate with the bad guys and pay it and then move on as if nothing has happened. Some of these are substantial ransoms. And so there's definitely no motivation for the bad guys to stop. American society is completely unaware just how bad the criminal elements are taking a lot of money from people. If you had to guess, what percent of this is criminal, what percent's government, and what percent of it is just individuals jerking around as a hobby? There are different types of things happening. When you see ransomware that's happening and organizations being blackmailed where they'll go in and they'll encrypt all of their servers and then basically you have to pay a bunch of Bitcoin to get your stuff undone, that is in most part a criminal enterprise. But it can also blend into state-sponsored enterprise. The North Koreans are kind of considered for doing this to try to increase some revenue because of all the sanctions. I would suggest that any of the targeting U.S. intellectual property that's been happening over the last, you know, five, six, seven years to the tune of some government reporting $300 billion a year in losses of intellectual property. That, when you're going after a Lockheed Martin or a Northrop Grumman or a Caterpillar, those require substantial capability to defeat those organizations. That is state-sponsored. The criminal stuff is going after your money and the blackmail. And then your individual in the basement can kind of weave in between there. There was a report of the teenager that compromised the director of the CIA's home account. That does happen. You do get some activist groups. Anonymous will do some things, and those may be kind of politically motivated, and they're doing it more to, you know, put a message up on a website, those type of things. So most of the lower-level script kitty, if you will, are defacing websites and that type of thing. The criminal enterprises are getting in and trying to go after money and doing blackmail. And then the state-sponsored organizations are stealing our trade secrets and then positioning themselves from an order of battle perspective to have that strategic surprise. So knock out the lights. Can they shut down the FAA? Can they hurt NASDAQ? Can they do those type of things that would kind of cause a lot of turmoil for us? That's the way I would kind of outline a tiering thing. So that in a sense, this is the new cyber mafia and represents a totally different set of skills and a much higher profit margin than the traditional crimes. Agree. Ten years ago, the moneymaker on the cyber side was you would steal data and then you had to go find an information broker to sell the data to, or you would create the actual exploits and sell those. So a zero-day right now can get you about a million dollars, a good one, like if you can get through Windows or get on an iPhone or something like that. But if you're going to go hit a corporation and you're going to hit them for, for $5 million in Bitcoin, and you can use that same tool that you use against them and hit five more companies, and now you're at $25 million 
of somewhat untraceable in the way this is being done because it goes through multiple iterations of different cryptocurrency providers and whatnot. It's a challenge for law enforcement. There have been United States municipal, city, and state police departments that themselves have been hit with ransomware and paid the ransom. It's a part of kind of a cyber hygiene issue on our side where we're not backing things up as much as we should. We're not really preparing our communities and our organizations for the threat. And then it's very, very difficult once you've been hit with that stuff to get your data unlocked. The interesting thing about this is for the most part, the criminals, there is some honor there. Like once you do pay, you do get your stuff back. Very rarely does it not work out that way. Because within that criminal subculture, if you get a reputation for not following through with releasing the holdings, then they would expect that they wouldn't be paid in the future. So they want to keep that faucet on by honoring the bounty. Sony produced a movie that made fun of Kim Jong-un, and they promptly had a cyber attack on Sony. I think everybody agrees it was the Koreans, but it's really hard to track down and prove it's the Koreans. And isn't that one of the problems? That you can have these attacks and really not know precisely where they're coming from. It is definitely one of the challenges. To some degree, there are elements with the intelligence community that have better visibility and understanding than others. And in some cases, it's still unknown. The other challenge with this, if you're utilizing criminal elements or you're supporting them and you kind of give yourself that plausible deniability, whether it's the Russians or the Chinese or the the North Koreans or the Iranians, if you can cause that doubt, that distance between an actual organized wearing a uniform group like you had in the GRU, I think most people in the community would agree are still under the control or supported by the government is an issue. But even more so from a political will perspective, what happens when you actually do attribute it to the Russian government or the Chinese government or the North Koreans? The ability to dissuade them from doing something like that is also a challenge, both from a political will to do it and then what you actually do. So it's a problem across multiple elements of national response after you even understand who did it, which is still a problem. How far would you go in responding? For example, in in response to Sony, should we have tried to take down the North Korean system? And even if we had, given how little electricity they use, would they even have noticed it? We have the ability to be surgical as well. So maybe the response is, if we have attribution or a strong enough agreement within the community, the intelligence community, maybe the effect is to neutralize the cyber capability of the people we believe are doing it, whether it's going right back after their machines and the quote-unquote hack back. Taking out the infrastructure that they're utilizing is a tactic that can be done and has been done from law enforcement. So if you look at how botnets are being done and some of the criminal enterprises, there are coordinated efforts with Interpol and others to go take down botnet servers and controllers. And some of that infrastructure takes a long time to build, millions of dollars in investment to get this stuff staged out, and taking that down dramatically impacts the bad guys' operations. That is something that can be done. Maybe it needs to be a little bit more public so people understand that this is happening. In some cases, the United States government is aware of more than the general population, as you would expect on a lot of things. 
So do they have capability to do things? Does NSA and Cyber Command have the ability from a cyber perspective to disrupt and engage and in some cases destroy cyber targets? Absolutely. Do they have the political backing or charter to do that? That's where we're not there yet. So we're not sending tier one guys into Beijing to kidnap hackers. We're not dropping bombs on buildings. And in most cases, we're not even doing a cyber operation to nuke their routers. I'm sure there are conversations happening in various pockets of the government on what to do. These conversations have been happening for 10 years now. And we definitely have the capacity to do things. From my perspective, when I was in the government as an operator doing these type of things, the only thing we were lacking was the political will to do it. That's the threshold. If the military is ordered or given a green light, they have the capability to do a lot of things in various stages of escalation. So that's where we have to get our political leadership on the same page, understanding the threat better, and then having a series of responses that are publicly known to the adversary. If you do this, this is going to be the consequences. Very similar to mutually assured destruction doctrine during the Cold War. We definitely need to start moving towards that. Right now, it's just been, we've been getting hit, getting hit, getting hit, getting hit. And a small group of, you know, American citizens have been seeing this and trying to deal with it in pockets. But we haven't had a unified response. And that's the biggest challenge. Next, a data breach in the Office of Personnel Management leaks the personal information and fingerprints of millions of federal employees. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 2015, they reported that hackers had gotten 5,600,000 digital images of government employees' fingerprints and had broken in just a huge volume of information about federal employees. That breach, the Office of Personnel Management and all of the kind of the background records for security clearances was a strategic hit. That was a focused effort to go after those records that has all of the information for every federal employee who has gone through a security clearance background check. So it'll cover your the organization that you're in, your previous employment, your family, every place you've lived, your credit record, your fingerprints, all of it. So it was a major hit. But in terms of the scale of constant aggressiveness, I think the Office of Personal Management said that they get something like 10 million attempted digital intrusions every month. Shouldn't we be much more militant about stopping the people who are doing all this? It seems to me that we're playing defense with no offense, and eventually they're going to break through. I agree. If it's connected to the Internet, it's at risk, and it will always be at risk. I would suggest that 10 million attempts a day is a lot of that scanning or it's just the machines that are just probing for openings. But when you get to an actual dedicated military intelligence unit or Chinese NSA or Russian NSA, they will have a dedicated campaign where they'll go at you from a target like that. From an insider perspective, from a human perspective, from a cyber perspective, they're going to get after it. And we haven't really come to the realization that some of these things are highly vulnerable and good targets. If you look at the ramifications of what happened there, Initially, that breach went after the contractor that had the work to do the investigation. So they would have contracted personnel that would go out using laptops and do field interviews, and then those laptops were plugging back into a corporate backbone, and they got on through that way. 
U.S. government basically kind of blamed that company. That company basically went bankrupt. Thousands of people lost their job. They tried to file an insurance claim about it. The insurance policy said, this was a state-sponsored thing. We're not going to protect you, and you're out. Come to find out that the government itself was also compromised in this thing, and they had not complied with inspections and security audits saying you need to do some things. So corporate corporate side, big impact. Government side, I'm not sure anybody even lost a job. The bad guys got away with a strategic haul of valuable intelligence about every employee and all their backgrounds and everything you could hope to have. And we really, as a response, did nothing other than offer a couple of years of free credit check to the employees. So I completely agree with you that we need to start changing our mindset and how we're responding to some of these things because there is no fear. There is no cost of doing business from their side. There's no ramifications for things like this. As I understand it, in terms of intellectual property theft, which is a different kind of problem, there was one report that China may account for as much as 87% of the counterfeit goods that are seized coming into the U.S. Doesn't this almost have to have the backing of the government of China to be on this scale? A hundred percent, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they control the Internet. They control your access in and out. I could tell you a story all the way back in 2001. You may recall that there was a Navy P-3 surveillance plane that was flying along the coast of China. China sent up two fighter jets to shadow it, and they ended up, you know, clipping wings, and we had to land our Navy plane on the ground, and it was a big kind of international uh, incident. That kicked off a round of kind of patriotic hacking between the U.S. and China. And on our side, the FBI and others kind of tried to track our guys down and tell them to stop. On the Chinese side, they started to kind of watch this, and they saw that these patriotic hackers were going against the U.S., and they were allowed to continue. That created your first generation of what the Chinese call big bulls or like the strong hackers. And they started their own little hacker organizations. And then 10 years later, in 2011, they literally had kind of a 10-year anniversary award ceremony for these groups. And it was held in a Chinese communist leadership cadre facility. It had tacit approval from the government. So without a doubt, these groups that are going after intellectual property, and we're talking hundreds of terabytes of data over the course of a couple of years that have been taken. I think the Mandiant report that talked about 61398, the military unit that the FBI did indictments on, they were talking about hundreds of terabytes in weekly spans. And that's just one unit. So when you start talking about hundreds of terabytes, I don't think people understand what that really looks like. 15 terabytes, if you were to take that and print that out, that would equate to every piece of printed material in the Library of Congress. And you're talking hundreds and hundreds of those. So it's a massive amount of information that's been taken, and the Chinese are experts at recreating through imitation. So not only are they doing counterfeit goods for purses and shoes and T-shirts and, and those type of things, but they're also creating weapon systems. They've created the J-31, which looks and flies exactly like the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. They have a drone that looks just like our Predator. They're selling it in Africa and the Middle East. They've taken our technology, they've created it themselves, and now they're moving into the market and they're competing against us. So not only from commercial goods, but from weapons of war as well. 
So there's a commission on the theft of American intellectual property, which made a report in 2017. And the range they estimate of how much is stolen of intellectual property annually from the U.S. economy was between $180 billion and $540 billion. Now, how can we know so little that we have a range of almost $400 billion between the high and low estimate for one year? Isn't there something wrong with our own systems if we can't get it narrower than that? Well, it kind of goes back to your point of it's hard to get everybody to admit that it's happened. It's hard to quantify the volume of what's been taken and how you actually turn that into a dollar amount. Some of us amongst the community will just kind of take a middle number and it's $300 billion a year. And if you do that across five years, I mean, you're at $1.5 trillion in economic impact. We cannot sustain this. We cannot continue to compete economically and eventually militarily. I can tell you, I personally briefed the CEO of Lockheed Martin when we were doing the Joint Strike Fighter Intrusion and had a big analyst notebook chart out, and here's kind of what we're doing and what we know and where the case is going. He basically kind of sat there and and looked up and said, I'm sick and tired of investing hundreds of millions of dollars in building this stuff to have it stolen in a matter of minutes. And that was just one company. Some of the other statistics around that report that you mentioned was one in five corporations has been hit or will be hit, maybe as high as two-fifths. So that's a massive amount of intrusion. And then then being able to quantify it. So let's say you did. Let's say you actually said, uh, we're narrowed it down. We can tell you it's $350 billion. The question is, then what? If we know it's 87% China, and they took $300 billion a year for five years, we're at $1.5 trillion in economic warfare, what are we doing about it? Some of the things that the current administration is doing is saying enough is enough. The American public is not really, as far as I can see, well-informed or in tune to this, because what you see on the news on a daily basis is something else that's not really focusing on the strategic challenges that we're facing as a society. Next, we reveal the lack of cyber health around our senior corporate and government leaders and what they need to do to protect themselves. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Chris, since there's a growing pattern of going after individuals and their home systems, etc., what advice do you have for people who want to deal with the cyber threat in a way that's effective for them as individuals? A couple of things. Cyber hygiene is important, so kind of basic practices. If you are part of a corporation and you've got a set of security policies in place, changing your password quarterly, making sure that your systems are updated and patched, Apply those same disciplines to your home life. So change your password on your Gmail regularly. Make sure that your home network equipment is updated and patched. You need to make sure that those things are updated and patched. Your home computers have basic antivirus. Those things will make it a little bit more difficult for the bad guys to move into your personal space. It is a growing challenge. I will fully admit that this is a challenge. The, the growth of uh, the Internet of Things and your refrigerator being able to call out and order milk adds a level of risk to your home. What we advise friends and family and clients 
is that you kind of pay attention to this. So when you read the news, pay attention to what's going on from a cyber perspective as well. I mean, there, there's always a blurb out there somewhere about what's going on and see how that might impact you. It's definitely a concern across a number of things. So I do want to touch base on this for the executives. So if you are a corporate executive, there's an entire trend of this whale fishing where people will go in and grab your information, make it look like it is you, send an email to your chief financial officer to tell you to move money. It's a whole scam that's been going around for a couple of years. Targeting often happens at home. So if, if they can go after your Gmail or your home router, they're going to do that. What we find over and over again is if you're a senior leader in a corporation, you're well defended in your office. You have a team of security professionals. You've got a lot of money invested. You've got latest and greatest security technology. As soon as you go home, you are just like everybody else. And your corporate security posture and visibility isn't coming to the home because we as Americans value that privacy. So it's beyond the remit of a security team from a corporation or even the government to protect officials at home. I can tell you that I personally spoke to a member of Congress who gave me their official business card with their congressional seal on there and their email address was a Gmail. That scares me to death because that Gmail is not being protected by the United States government. That is an area where people need to recognize that you are a target, especially if you're in a position of political leadership or corporate leadership, and either take the time to invest in your own security, consider getting some consultation on how to better protect yourself. There are some simple free things that can be done to improve your posture. Training is a huge benefit. Understanding how to maybe adjust some of the settings on your mobile devices making sure that you come in and just have a basic assessment of what your posture is at home is a simple thing to do that either is low cost or no cost. But let me draw a distinction. I mean, if you're a business executive, shouldn't thinking through protecting you at home be part of your corporate system? It should be. In some cases, it is. And in most cases, it is not. How many executives have you seen that walk around with two phones? They'll have their corporate phone and they'll have their personal phone. I've seen communications in the kind of the cyber under, underground, you know, the the, dark, the deep and dark web where people are, are offering bounties for executives' personal email addresses and personal phone numbers. Why? Because that's what they want to target. I've seen kind of dialogues happening about why would I, if I'm a hacker, why would I attack the general on his .mail account when he's protected by literally an army of cyber defenders when I can attack the general on his AOL account where he's got no defenses? other than AOL, and AOL's not going to be able to stop what's coming. There's been recent reporting that 300 to 700,000 home routers in the United States have been compromised by a suspected Russian hacker group. And so that's moving away from corporate enterprise and businesses into the, the home space. That's an extremely troubling potential where there's definitely a, a lower security posture in the homes. So when you start to look at global operations from a cyber perspective, and you're, look, you're talking about Russian NSA or Chinese NSA, they have the ability to go very surgical right after an individual or step back and try to have 1,000 points of light or 1,000 points of presence or a million points of presence around the world to help them with their SIGIN operations. When you start talking about a million points of presence, how much of that's done just by using automatic devices, whether they're bots or other things that self-propagate? A lot of it is, initially. So 
So there'll be a scanning of the internet, constantly looking for unpatched machines and vulnerabilities. And then they'll have a library of exploits when their machine is scanning across Western Europe or across North America and they find an IP address that's reporting back that it has a port open or a vulnerability, then their exploit library will just compromise that system and then they can take control of it and move on to the next one. That is kind of the regular general noise that's happening on a daily basis, which is what a lot of the cybersecurity industry is kind of dealing with, where you're constantly having to update and patch your machines and make sure your firewall is up to date and your antivirus is good. Criminals can do that. State-sponsored organizations can do that. Teenagers in their basement can do that. But when you start to move into the higher-order advanced groups, state-sponsored with national-level backing and funding, and they're creating zero days, which is an exploiter of a piece of malware that has no signature. So the way most antiviruses work is they're based off of a signature. So it has to know that this is a malware. It creates a fingerprint for it, and then it can look for it some other place. A zero day would be something that has never been seen before, and it can run for a long time until it's actually identified, the fingerprint created, and then put into your antivirus. When you have state-sponsored organizations that have dedicated funding that are constantly looking and creating new zero days, they have a library full of weapons, if you will, that they can use to continue to maintain access in places that they want. How would you change things if you could get the president and the Congress to agree? I think there's a couple of things that we should be doing that are, that are less provocative than others, and it can kind of go from a scale. We should be taking more advantage of encryption and encrypting our data at rest. It's very, very difficult for it to be utilized because it's encrypted, and you've got to spend a lot of time and resources to decrypt that stuff. As just a fundamental policy, we're not doing as much as we could there as a, just a hygiene perspective. There would be a good cause at some point in time for the American public to know more about what's going on. We have a tendency to classify a lot of stuff, and some of it absolutely 100% needs to be classified. There may be some arguments where some of it shouldn't be, and people need to know about it. If I had the ability to make some changes now, I would hope that we could get both sides of the aisle to stop looking at each other as the enemy and look outward at Russia and China and what they're doing to us as a country. So we're too busy pointing the finger at each other over things than looking outward. I mean, if you kind of look back over the last few months and the last year and the whole Russia thing, the Mueller report talks about Russia doing some things, but the sense you get from the way it's being projected on a daily basis is it's still more of a focus on the Trump administration than on what Russia was actually doing and has been doing since the Cold War. There are just as many or more Russian spies in the United States now than there were at the peak of the Cold War. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the wrong things. So that would be the next tier is, so let's make a data that sits on our enterprises more difficult to capitalize on because you encrypt it. Let's get our political leadership to stop throw in stones at each other and pay attention to what's impacting our country from an external forces perspective. And then three, we need to have the political resolve to escalate and for people to understand why this is happening. I don't know what the line is where you would start to go kinetic on something like this, but $1.5 trillion over five years in economic theft is a huge number and something should be done about that. And there needs to be some concern 
by these units that sit in Moscow or Beijing and are basically operating with impunity. I mean, Mueller doing an indictment on GRU officers and naming them, saying this major in the GRU at 7.15 in the morning did this event, is telling them what we know, but nothing's happening to these individuals or the country or the government. From that perspective, I don't have an answer other than I think if we had our political leadership working together to come up with some better solutions is the first step. And that's definitely not happening right now because we focus on four-year political cycles and the constant campaigning and that type of thing. So we're losing the ability to actually protect against the strategic threats in the long term. Chris, I'm just very grateful to you for taking the time and sharing all this knowledge with us. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Yarnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penman. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. 
I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.